Well, thanks everyone for uh, um, coming on such a sunny afternoon. Um, as um, many of you know, my name is John, um, and as you've now heard, I'm a psychiatrist. Um, as I was uh, preparing this, I was Googling away, and I was looking for some stats about how we spend our time during the week. And uh, um, as you doubtless know, there's 168 hours in a week, and we sleep for about 50 of those. Is this mic both microphones on? Ah, oh, good day. So we sleep for about 50 hours a week. Uh, we work for about 40 hours a week. Um, some of us work a bit more than that, some of us work a bit less. What I was surprised by uh, was the number of websites that focused on the remaining 80 hours, 80 hours, as being those the hours that define us, that give us our identity. But they ignore the work hours. That might seem reasonable when you think, well, it's 80 hours, that's quite a lot of time. But then think, actually, what we have to do in that 80 hours, well, we, um, we commute, many of us commute for two or three hours a week. We prepare meals, seven hours a week, I guess. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, um, Googling dental hygiene takes about half an hour a week. Um, showering takes about an hour a week, unless you're one of my daughters, it takes much more than that. So this 80 hours of free time that is meant to define us suddenly is, is greatly reduced, and the proportion of time that we spend in work becomes much higher. And that is, that's a really important point of time, isn't it? Because it's, we're, we're doing jobs, sometimes jobs that we don't really like, and we're spending time with people that we don't really choose to be with. They might be friends, they might be fine, but actually we're often put, put with them. So our sermon series, and this is part three of it, is thinking about this chunk of time in work. Why do we work? How do we work? So I, I, I love my job. Um, I work as a psychiatrist up in Gloucestershire with the NHS. I do private patients and uh, expert witness work in uh, evenings and uh, weekends. I'm not sure I've got a particularly good work-life balance, but I adore it. I've been quite challenged when preparing for this and thinking about what my motivation for work is. And I've, I realized that I love my work, I love help treating patients. I'm not convinced that my motivation is right according to these passages. So um, as you've heard, we're gonna have two passages. Um, I think they're both really challenging. I think the second one is, even, is particularly challenging. Uh, but before we go further, I should um, apologise. You're being shortchanged this afternoon. Uh, this afternoon, it's the equivalent of uh, buying a particularly nice sandwich and finding that the filling is missing. Uh, and what I mean with this is this, that um, uh, as of last week, we had a great plan that I was going to speak for a bit. Then Claire Nichols was going to speak for a bit because I thought it would be brilliant to hear from Claire because she's, uh, she's retired and I think it's really important to have a different perspective. And then I was going to speak again at the end. So it was, um, and it turned, and, uh, but COVID's got in the way. So uh, no Claire uh, this afternoon. She's right, Jerry. Yeah. Um, but, so it's all, we've got a clear-shaped hole. Um, so what I would like to do is to invite um, you at the end, anyone here, 
If you wish to make comment, to uh, reflect, to think about how this series applies to you, and you don't have to be retired, it'd be great to hear from you if you are retired, but it'd be great to hear from you if you're in work, if you're in paid work, voluntary work, work in the home. Great to hear from you if you're a student. I think there's only one in the building, but it'd be good to hear from you as well. So you are all very welcome to, uh, uh, to speak. It'd be lovely to hear from you if you have any reflections um, on, on what, we've, what we're hearing about. So let's look at the first passage. So um, if you've got Bibles on your phones, that would be great. Uh, we're Colossians 3. And the key verses 22 through to 25. So slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only where their eyes are on you to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So why do this? Why should slaves, and um, moving forward to uh, us today, why should employees serve masters as if serving the Lord? Well, the logic of this, if you, if you have Bibles, it would be good to look back. The logic of this argument goes back to the beginning of chapter 3, and it's where Paul sets out our new identity. So 3 verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So as Christians, we have a new identity, we have a new status, we are seated with Christ. Then goes on to verse 2. Set your mind on things above, and we have a series of applications. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are all called to peace. So you see there's, there's a series of applications coming out of this, our new status, our new identity. And that takes us to verse 18 onwards, and we, we see how this new status should affect our relationship with others. How wives should behave, how husbands should behave, how children should behave, how fathers should behave. And then, on to verse 22 how slaves should behave. And the challenge is work, not for earthly masters or earthly gain, but for the Lord. What motivates us in work? And I guess there's a whole range of um, motivations. It's, uh, we often work to put food on the table, to pay the bills, pay the mortgage. That's not a bad thing. We might work to catch the eye of the boss so that we can be promoted. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, but we're being challenged here that work is much more than that. Work is about serving God. Now, I've, I've heard this passage um, many times and thought I was acquainted with it, uh, but I must admit I, I'm being a little bit ashamed because I think I'd missed out on what verse 23 to 24 
says. I had rather assumed that, uh, this is stupid when I, when I say it, that there's a reward for Christian work, you know, when I come and leave Cypher of an evening, and uh, kind of, there's a reward for that. Um, and it come in, God, God gives a reward. Um, but the, for work that I do during the day, well, you know, the reward is the paycheck. And it, it's really stupid to think about it because actually very clearly it says here, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Work is God's work. And we heard this from Will in week one, that, that everything we do, not just the work that might involve someone wearing a dog collar, is God's work. I'm going to um, pilfer from Brian's sermon uh, last week. Um, actually, I listened to him in the morning. I think he was preaching in the afternoon. I hope he said the same in the afternoon. Um, I think he spoke about a vicar who had, was set out support for those people who are in ministry. And the vicar said at the end, of, towards the end of his life, actually that he got it wrong because he realized that the work of an employee, the work of someone in the home, was every bit as valuable to the world and to God as the person in ministry. Did he say that? Oh, I'm, I'm, that's good. Um, and I think that's... And that's the point here, isn't it? That, that the work that we do, regardless of what it is, is work for God that God is going to reward. I'm going to pilfer again from, Simon, uh, from Brian's sermon. It, Brian talked about work before the fall, about how work in the Garden of Eden was, was to do God's work. But that changed after the fall. And the relationship with God changed and mankind became self-focused. And our attitude to work has changed since then, hasn't it? So we, so we now become self-focused in our work. We think about, well, how can I get paid more? How can I get promoted? How can I do the bare minimum to get by without getting into trouble? Our, our focus on God in our work has been lost. Now, every year, um, uh, I'm, sorry, I'm a, a consultant, a psychiatrist, and every year or so, uh, we have to do an hours monitoring exercise where our NHS Trust gives us these spreadsheets, and every 15 minutes, we have to fill up and say what we've been doing for the last 15 minutes. Have we been seeing patients? Have we been um, writing reports, leading ward rounds, spending time on the golf course? Um, and we produce a, a week, um, a few weeks, of how our time spent. And it's often quite illuminating to think actually how I have spent my time. Um, I wonder if we were to do a similar exercise of the work that we do every 15 minutes, thinking about well, what motivates, what's motivating us? Where are our hearts? Where's our focus? In our work, whatever that be, is our focus on God. And what we would find. I, I, think I, know, I, I think I know what I'd find. Because um, I think I'm very aware that I, I pray at the start of the day. I pray as I'm driving into work. And, uh, but I think I sort of just crack, crack on with the day. 
and um, don't really think about God too much during the tasks of the day. And it's not that I do a bad job, it's just that I'm not, not God-focused in my job. I don't, my, I don't find God as my motivating factor throughout the day. So, how, so if you're like me in that, how can we change? How can we change our view to work? Well, I think the key is to go back into the key bit is to go back to three verse one and remember our our status. You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. So I remember Will said in uh, week one of this series, he talked about these three workers, um, all of whom were doing the same job. One was putting brick on brick, brick on brick. The other one was, was said, actually, you know, I, I'm good at this. I'm building a wall. But the third one said, I'm building something fantastic. I'm building, I'm building a cathedral. And we learned the Ill- our attitude towards work depends upon our perspective. So if, I, if our perspective is right, if our perspective is right, and we can remember who we are, our characters, our status, and that it's God's work, won't it be easier to keep, our, to keep God motivation throughout the day? Now, um, I'm aware I need to probably temper this a little bit because the day, we might think the logic of this is, well, we'd just be, alcohol- we'd be a, uh, workaholics. I almost said alcoholics. That's, that's, not, that's not right. Um, <laughs> Um, they might be workaholics. We think, well, God's rewarding my work, therefore I just work more. Well, you know, I don't, don't think that's right. I mean, hopefully you've been reading um, our sermon, our Lent series book, The Emotionally Healthy Disciple. Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which um, talks about uh, not just doing for God, but being with God and the importance of that. And, we're, and we think about Martha and Mary and the importance of being not just doing. So we need to temper, not just not, not being told to do, do, do. But clearly we do need to be here the challenge of this, that as we are doing, as we are working, is our focus, is our focus on God. Uh, we're going to move on to the second passage in just a moment, but I want to very quickly look at 4 verse 1. Um, if you read the Bibles, it says this. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Do we employ people? Um, some people employ cleaners, but I guess we all employ people um, indirectly through shops, through um, other workers. I was really challenged about whether I treat these wider scale employees fairly. I was chatting to the manager in Coffee Number One, the deputy manager, um, who tells me that he works about 50 hours a week um, and he can't afford to, to rent a flat. And I worked out he earns about the equivalent of about £8.30 an hour um, if you put everything in. Just changed me. Oh, am I treating him fairly when I go and buy a coffee? Do I tip? Um, I'm not going to think much more about that, but, but there's the importance part of it as we, as we seek to work hard, are we, the flip side of this, are we also rewarding fairly. Okay, um, next passage. Um, so it's the complementary passage. We are coming into land, so it's not, uh, not going to be the same amount of time again. Do hang on. Uh, so 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. Slaves in reverent fear 
of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing wrong and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I think this goes really against the grain. I find this really challenging. Um, I took, um, a couple of years ago, we took Matilda to see a Christmas carol um, down in the old Vic. Um, now, I'm rubbish with literary names and you should get corrected. Um, so, Tiny Tim is the little boy, is that right? And his father is... Thank you. Bob Scratchit? Cratchit, right. And the whole point of that... Yes. Uh, and... Scrooge, I've got that name right, I think, is a terribly unjust employer. He's very unfair. And that seems to be the, the, the thrust of the, of the play. I mean, part of it, I, I was a bit distracted because Matilda had a total meltdown about there being ghosts on stage. So we, uh, I think I, I missed some of the, the key bits. But there's, but there's something about the, the importance for fairness in employment that goes to the heart of, of what we think is right as, as a society. You know, I guess I mean, we'd all, regardless of where we stand politically, we would all support the Tolpuddle Martyrs and the formation of the union movement who were campaigning for fair employment. We think, we think things ought to be fair. Look at the recent outcry when P&O laid off uh, workers summarily. But that seems to be a bit against what this passage is calling us to. Well, it is, isn't it? It's, it's really, I think, really challenging. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. Why should we do this? Why, why should we? It, it seems a bit pointless. Well, and just as we do that last passage, we need to look back a bit to, to, to understand why. So if you've got your Bibles, um, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, the beginning of this section, says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, so um, Christians with a new status, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Then verse 12. Verse 12 is the key verse. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. The logic that Peter has here is that we are to allow ourselves to be treated harshly by our masters to win souls, to win over the unbelievers. Those of you who are in work, um, how many Christians are there in your, your company? I won't ask you, Luke. I'd rather hope there's quite a few working for the Bible Society. Um, I think in the NHS, I guess, I, I think the NHS probably has higher proportion. I guess it's about 10%. Um, software company? Not many? 
Anyone else want to? I mean, I think it's number of Christians in the workplace is, is low, usually. I mean, it's, it's I mean, 1%, 5%. Yeah, and that's similar to the number of Christians in some countries that we're desperately trying to get missionaries into. And yet we are there in the workplace. And what well, it's such an easy place to witness. It's an easy place to, to be known as a Christian. It's an, it's an instant mission field on our doorstep. And it's for this reason that we're to submit ourselves to both good and bad employers, to the, to the kind and the harsh employers. Paul gives the example of slaves accepting a beating, but not moaning, not complaining, but bearing up under the pain. The challenge is, as Christians, are we going to allow ourselves to be downtrodden at work for the sake of Jesus, to win followers, to, to win followers for him? It's really challenging. I, 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 I find I bridle when I'm told off um, even for something I've done wrong. Um, but if I'm told off unjustly, I've become apoplectic. I feel I need to, need to let everyone know and create a huge scene. But we're being encouraged to put up with it. And encouraged to put up with it to follow the example of Jesus. As it goes on, verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So in suffering unjustly, but under harsh masters, we are to be like Jesus. Now, I don't think for a minute that this, the pastor is saying, well, all you need to do in work is just go, go into work, and all witnessing and working about is about is being a bit of a doormat, and um, you don't need to do anything else. Because Peter says earlier on in the book um, the importance of the spoken message. Uh, so 1 verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that they have now been told by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So it's not a case of um, that phrase, I think was uh, St. Francis that said preach the gospel at all times, you use words when essential. The Peter's very clearly here, the message is important, but it needs to be backed up with the way that we live our lives, and the, one of those ways is, is bearing up and obeying harsh masters. I find this very difficult. I'm, so in work, I, can, I, actually, I don't mind talking about my faith in work, it's a bit nerve-wracking. Um, I've got a colleague called Ruth, um, who's our team manager. He's actually very sad he just left. Um, and uh, we had another member of the team uh, called Louise. Um, uh, and I was, Louise was talking about in a team meeting about some quite pagan ideas. And I thought, well, I'll go in there, I'll talk about Jesus and, uh, and challenged her. And it was like, well, okay, it didn't go that well. But Ruth had a much more gentle, uh, gentle approach and showed by her softness of approach and willingness to 
to take unfair criticism that she was different. And Ruth's also a Christian. And Louisa went with Ruth to an Alpha course and has now become a Christian. And it really challenged me that, you know, I, think, I thought I had much more masterful arguments than, than Ruth did. But it was, but it was Ruth that, that won, over the, won over Louisa for the Lord. Of course, we need to, rec- we need to think about the extreme applications of this. We, if, some, if, a, um, if an employee is very abusive, we need to think about how do we wisely respond to this. But, but let's, not leave, let's not lose the challenge of how are we going to be in work tomorrow? Are we going to be focused on the Lord? Are we willing to be like Jesus with our employers? I'm going to leave it there. Um, this is the bit where I've got a mic and some wipes uh, to wipe the mic down. Um, if, you'd like, if you've got any reflections, anything to add, anything to think about how the whole series has been challenging you as a retired person or wherever you are, please do raise a hand and I'll bring the mic to you. If you've got nothing to say, that's absolutely fine. We can sit here for two or three minutes and I will then uh, ask Steve to pray. Is that all right? So um, please raise a hand if you've got anything to say and I'll bring the mic over, but it's absolutely fine if you, if you don't. Thanks very much. Um, so uh, that latter passage, I think, was the passage that left. I might get this wrong, but I think it was a big problem for the confessing church in Nazi Germany because some of them felt it led them into too much submission in the wrong time. So the thing you were saying at the end, I think, is important, that if we have an abusive situation or something that is absolutely against the principles, there are ways to behave in that situation. But I think it is a... It, is challenging. Um, the former thing about how we think about our work, you were saying, the thing that struck me about that was um, some years ago I, I did a course called Arrow and it focused on three, three elements for leadership, whatever your area. And I'm currently looking at how to develop this course for people in film. And the three elements are character, calling and competency. And I think whatever you do, those are the, th- the three things that help us frame what it means to be who we are. Our character, our sense of calling to specifically what we do, be it a software company or psychologist or a speech therapist or whatever it is we do, or filmmaker, um, and, and then um, calling our competency, um, doing it, and that comes very clearly, doing it with all our heart, doing it with real resolve and, and digging into it. Um, and, th- and the last little illustration I really love that's not mine at all but came because I was doing a lot of work uh, in the early noughties around with LICC and some of the work they've done on God at Work and it was um, French teacher actually I- I'm biased to French teachers um, but uh, who'd been thinking through uh, in this case his kind of approach how was he a Christian in French teaching and he looked at his curriculum and realised that a lot of what he taught can I buy a croissant? Can I get a train ticket? Where's, where's the town hall? Who, who, whoever goes looking for the town hall? Um, all of it was about how can I be a good tourist in France? And he's, he then looked to what did Jesus teach us stories, which I think is a really interesting thing to do, and asked himself, what's, 
what's the the story, the motif that, that I'm building my work around. And he decided to slide everything to being the Good Samaritan. So he taught his pupils exactly the same stuff. He must have had to do quite a lot of work because he would have had to have different kind of stories to translate and all the rest. But instead of teaching how to be a good tourist, all of his stories involved coming across somebody who was in England who only spent, sp spoke French and needed help. How were you going to help them? and reformed his uh, entire curriculum about being a good Samaritan. I thought that was a really genius way to, to reimagine it. Personally, I used the story of the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and particularly the supper, and how Jesus was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. And so in the work I do, where people are quite a long way from any God stuff, the idea is about building enough fellowship to sit around a table. Um, there you go. That's enough. It's the it's the it's the uh, it's the wipe time. Thank you. Can I invite Sorry, Tom. Can I invite anyone else to? Uh... Thanks, Jerry. I think two contributions. One, I haven't worked the century. Um, I've been retired. Uh, in, in 1999, but when I was working, I was for six or seven years a trade union representative. And that, I thought, was an important role. Um, in some ways, you, you, you're, you're a bit like a, a defence counsel. You don't condone what's gone on, but you make sure the processes are done fairly. And I think that that is something that requires integrity when you're dealing with managers. Your word must be your bond. And one of, one of the most rewarding things was people would say things to me knowing I would reflect, would, would really honor the confidences. And I think that that is something that every workplace needs, that your yay be your yay and your nay be your nay. But the other thing, as a retired person, what you, your resource is more often time than money. And one I think the most difficult things when you first retire is having a structure to the week. And certainly, I think for Christians, worship on a Sunday is often the anchor for the week. Because it's a time when you can reflect what's happened since I was here seven days ago. And that is what we are answerable for to our Heavenly Father. Thank you. The thing that struck me, I, I ran a consultancy um, in the property development company, in the property, property world, and we were working on projects where we had to sell our clients' stuff. But when I set the business up, I said, if I can't tell the truth while I do this, I will do something else. And fortunately, we got busy, but we ended up employing, I, I was ended up paying at least 12 mortgages. And you get to the end of the month, has the jobs come in? Are you having, have you got enough money to pay the mortgages? 
And you can just see how, in some elements of consultancy, especially in the property world, how people's ethics shift. And they are prepared to sell their souls because they've got to get the money in, because they've got to get the jobs. And I said to myself on day one, I'm not going to do that. I sold the business, having had faith to keep the business running straight after 30 years, and it was still going strong. That was 10 years ago. It is still going strong because the people have the same ethics. And what it shows is faith gives you the strength to stick to your principles. And that was the lesson I took from faith. Stick to your principles, and at the end of the day, God looks after people who stick to their principles. Thank you. Was I, Claire, you're pointing to a sorry. What? So who was first? Oh, well, sorry. In recent years, um, in the Christian world, I think partly by LICC, people have come across what's called the sacred-secular divide, <coughs> suggesting that the Christians had followed Platoism and divided their life into the spiritual and the secular. I, I feel I was very fortunate that I had a Christian mentor when I was a young, very young medic, also in an area where it was easy to, to feel I was doing working for God. But he, he taught me, not using those terms, sacred-secular divide, that in the biblical sense, all of life was sacred, all of life was important. And he, having taught me that, he, he called it the vertizontal, pointed to a cross, vertical to God and horizontal to humankind, caring for humankind. And another experience I had very soon after that, I was working at a place called the Mayflower Family Centre in East London, where the ex-bishop of, of Liverpool, David Shepherd, was uh, in his early years the, the warden. And I, one of the phrases that he taught me, <laughs> taught me, um, one of the phrases he used to say to people was, God is interested in the drains. I don't know why that stuck with me, but it did. I think it fitted with the getting rid of this sacred-secular divide that all of life, in a sense, other than our sleep, is work for God and is, is important. So it's a different aspect than we've been talking about. But. Thank you. Was there something There was... Oh, right. I'll put you on the spot. Were you, were you, waving, a, were you waving a hand, Roy? Oh, sorry. Just two short things. One is that the, the fact that a lot was addressed to slaves tends to suggest that the Christians, a lot of the Christians were slaves. So I think we need to be grateful for where we come from and the injustices that our early, early Christian brothers went through. And secondly, I've forgotten it. Uh, um, yes, um, the fact that we need to endure injustices for Christ doesn't mean we endure injustice. 
Thank you. Thank you very much, John, and the congregation for getting our minds thinking about the whole subject of work and doing it all for the glory of God. Uh, 